Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Telling Everybody Everything. We've had an incredible half-term holiday. I don't tour during the half-term as you know, but I am back on tour this weekend. Tomorrow... Thursday, I'm in Newcastle, then Doncaster, then Manchester, then Blackpool. Holy shit, it's going to be a fun weekend in the north. Blackpool's on a Sunday, which is unusual. Don't know why it's in there, but it is. And we'll be staying in some incredibly fun, chilly hotels with Fred. I don't usually give my email address at the beginning of the podcast. You know, I like to wait, see who listens till the end. Those are the people who can contact me. But it is telling everybody everything at gmail.com. I always encourage you to write me. Ask me a question. Send me your thoughts, your viewpoints on something. Write me a letter. Admittedly, I don't get to all of them. But today, I'm going to make a big push in that direction. I'm going to make a big effort to look at the emails. But first, I need to also tell you that as I am on tour, there's a huge gig in Birmingham coming up. Um, next weekend, March 2nd, I'm in Guildford, March 3rd, I'm in Cardiff, and on the 4th, I'm in Birmingham before going to Portsmouth on the 5th. Birmingham, if you live anywhere near the Midlands, we're doing an arena. It's a 5,000-seater, and there are tickets left for that one. They've asked me to mention it, so that tells me that there are more tickets than they want available for that one. Uh, I could lie and be like, get the last few remaining tickets, snap them up, but that's not my bag. I feel like that one is undersold they might be a little bit worried about it. So if you want to come see me in Birmingham, do come. If you listen from America and you're asking me, why can't I get your book in America? Why can't I download it on Audible? It is because I don't have a publishing deal for America. They offer a really low amount because I think they they don't imagine I would sell many books over there. And I know a lot of British artists whose books are available in America, but they got paid genuinely a low, 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 low fee for that. And it's all about like vanity, I, I guess, because they're not doing it for any financial gain at those at those cutthroat prices. And I don't know, my publisher just didn't offer me an American publishing deal. I guess it wasn't worth it. But if enough of you want the book and then it becomes financially viable for everyone to publish the book out there, then I'm sure they will one day. In the meantime, I think that you can probably order it from UK places and have it shipped. But good news, I am coming to America. I am doing two gigs in Los Angeles, April 30th at the Netflix is a Joke Festival. If you're going to be in the Los Angeles area, there's a 7 p.m. show that is sold out, but then they've just added a 9.30 p.m. show. I didn't mention it before. To tell you the honest truth, I didn't think I was going. Uh, I said, yeah, put that in, but I really believed that I was going to back out. 
because of Fred. And I thought, oh, we're not going to be able to get him to America and back in such a short turnaround because I've got other things going on in London. He'll be jet lagged. I can't leave Fred. He'll only be 10 months old. And also with the pandemic, I just didn't know what the shape of things was going to look like. But now we've just decided, do you know what? He can stay with his grandmother for three days. He can do that. Babies do that. And I'm not comfortable with it. It's not like I'm going to have a great time, but I'll be able to forget about my responsibilities for at least the duration of the shows. And then Bobby and I will turn around and fly back. So we'll be in Los Angeles, April 30th, two shows at the Regent Theater as part of the Netflix is a joke festival. If you want tickets to see me doing anything, please get them from Live Nation or direct from the venue or even Ticketmaster. Do not get them from dodgy reseller sites because those will cost way too much. There are people who are like, what, $200 just to see a comedy show? That's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I agree. My tickets do not cost that much. If you see them for that much, you're being scammed. The 7 p.m. show is already sold out. That is why they've added the 9.30 p.m. show. And there is a secret code that's not so secret because I put it on my Instagram. It's a pre-sale code for tickets that is uh, valid before general sale. So it starts from now. It's valid until Friday. After Friday, February 25th, then that's general sale and there might not be tickets left. Get your tickets now if you're going to be at the Netflix is a joke festival in Los Angeles at the end of April. That pre-sale code is giggles. G-I-G-G-L-E-S. It's going to be a good time even if you're not seeing me. For fuck's sake. Can you hear that? My gorgeous husband is using either the lawnmower or the leaf blower or one of the many gadgets that I fucking beg that people do not use during the podcast. I apologize. It's a faint noise. But the last show that I have to promote to you today, you can hear that, right? I mean, like I'm literally three floors up. My house is very tall. I think, do you think he's doing it on purpose? See, I love him so much. I really do. I I had no idea that people loved their husbands this much. I remember when I was living in my old flat, the church conversion, one of the neighbors whom I really love, this woman, but I hardly know her husband, she showed up at my door crying and I was like, hello. She's like, oh, I just, I just wanted to talk. Like I found out that my husband's been diagnosed with this terrible, um, you know, thing. I don't want to get into specifics. He had like a disease at the time, which he beat, thankfully, but at the time it was quite life-threatening and really scary for her. And I looked at her and I was like, oh my God, yeah, come in, come in. The kids are friends. I said, come in, God. And she was just so beside herself. And I said, you really, really love this man, don't you? And she thought I was crazy. She's like, of course I love him. He's my husband. And I thought, well, I didn't, well, sorry, no offense. I just didn't think people loved their husbands that much. I thought at least for some women, they'd be like, hmm, husband's not well, might not pull through. And they might think to themselves, yes, I'm about to inherit the entire house. I don't know. Those are the kind of women that I grew up with. I don't think my mom, no offense, mom, like I think she'd be happy telling you this herself. Not that she's an evil person or anything, but I don't think she was happy enough in her marriage to have cried if she found out that my dad got sick. <laughs> but anyway, if Bobby, if anything, God forbid, happened to Bobby, I get it now. D- despite the roar of this leaf blower, uh, I love him so much that I just don't know what I would do. I think I would be like, just I would just be not ever the same I'd be in therapy probably for the rest of my life so I'm sorry for anyone who's ever actually valued their husband and been in love and lost him I'm really sorry I get it now 
despite this fucking leaf blower. Anyway, I have to tell you about one more show. Actually, three more shows. There is a huge historic venue right in Oxford Circus, right near Soho. So much fun. Such a great location if you live in London or you want to come to London. It is called the Palladium. And the first time that I did a gig there, I went with my good friend Joe Lysett, who's just, you know who Joe Lysett is. If you don't know, find out. But that would be just a small minority of you have never heard of Joe Lysett. Where have you been? He's the best. I am lucky to count him as a friend. We went there because I was booked to open for Chelsea Handler and was super fun. And we saw Kate Beckinsale in the dressing room. And that was really exciting for me and Joe. And then we had dinner afterwards with Jamila Jamil at the Soho House. What a night. That was probably 2013 or 14. While I'm making a triumphant return to the London Palladium with my brand new show, Misses, there are already three dates which have sold out. So they're adding three more. I believe those dates are in May. I would love to have you come to the London Palladium shows because I think a lot of my friends will be there actually. A lot of just fun. It'll be fun. And Live Nation specifically want me to remind you about that because I have done nothing to promote it so far. Birmingham, tickets left. London Palladium, three new dates. If you are in America, I'm going to the Netflix is a Joke Festival and I have added a second show on April 30th. I'm so excited to be doing an email roundup episode because sometimes, you know, I just get two or three emails at the end and that makes me sad. Um, Let's start it off with a reply to last week's podcast called Catherine, your unexpected glory holes section. Catherine is a proud gay man. I can confirm glory holes, as referenced in your last podcast, are a real thing. I was surprised that you mentioned them on your fabulous podcast, but you are educated and or are freely expressive about so many topics, true. I have not had the personal experience of using a glory hole myself, but I do know people who have, and I've been invited to a few. Oh my gosh, what do you send invitations out to a glory hole? Like, you are cordially invited to the Burger King stall three in the men's lose. Uh, okay. I have respectfully declined or ignored any glory hole invitations that you may casually receive on hookup apps like Grindr or Scruff, etc., where I believe people have their own at-home glory hole type setups too. Really? I mean, if you're just joining us and you missed last week's podcast, a glory hole from my understanding, and I didn't know if this was fact or fiction, if it was like an urban legend, uh, was a hole in a wall of usually a public men's loo that a very trusting man would just stick their penis in and then someone on the other side would do something to their penis I felt like maybe I dreamt this in some type of fever dream but it's it's real they aren't my cup of tea he says but some men are perfectly happy for any form of sexual relief and they don't care who or where it is from now please take that advice straight women as well I like that the the gay community, uh, this man definitely is very honest about that. He's like, just let me tell you something about men. Some of them want to stick their penis in a hole in the wall and they don't really care what's on the other side. Well, ladies, if you, like me, uh, enjoy the sexual company of men, you need to be aware that some of them will stick their penis in a hole for gratification, not caring whose feelings they hurt or who is on the other side of the hole, if you know what I mean. And that means... Who's on the other side of the hole? You are. Your heart, your feelings, your soul. So that's not all men, but it's some. It's a biological truth for many of them, so let's just be aware of that. Always listen carefully to the warnings of a gay man. 
So Catherine, I've added some quick history points about the glory holes, which I didn't know until you brought them up, which made me Google more about them. Oh my gosh. I love that we have gone like BBC four with this. This has become a history lesson, uh, a really educated podcast. Actually, we're just adding facts and figures in even about glory holes. The first documented instance of a glory hole was in 1707. It was a court case known as the Trials of Thomas Vaughan and Thomas Davis in London, England, which involved the extortion of a man known in the documents only as Monsieur Guillaume. At the time, gay sex in public places could lead to arrests. I feel like it still should. Do you know what I mean? Not gay sex, but any sex. You can't have sex in public, right? Right? I mean, I know about the George Michael stuff in the Lou's, and that felt homophobic to me, and that wasn't right. But is the Lou a public place? I mean, yeah, a public Lou is a public place. But straight people can't just fucking a Lou, right? I don't think you get arrested, though. I think you just probably get kicked out. I don't know. See, I've not lived a rock and roll enough lifestyle to know anything about anything. So I remember I was at a private members club and there was a sign that said, people found in pairs in the Lou's will be ejected and have their membership revoked. And I always thought that meant sex until someone told me it meant drugs. I don't know. During the mid-1900s, police often used bathroom glory holes as an entrapment method for gay men, often recording the incidents as evidence to prosecute. Such incidences were, incidents were recorded in California and Ohio in the 1950s and 60s, with archival police footage of tea rooms appearing on pornography websites such as Pornhub. Oh, a tea room is a glory hole. I mean, that is a confusing afternoon for Grandma. All right, some time has passed. I had to wait for that leaf blower to finish because the sound of it was slowly chipping away at my marriage. It's done now. I'm back. And I've opened a very reassuring email. It says, Catherine, listening to your most recent episode, I couldn't get over the hypocrisy of our society that says, no, you can't potty train before 20 months while also saying your baby can learn to sleep all night long on their own at four months. How can people give babies so little credit and way too much credit at the same time? My 10-month-old can use the potty and she still needs comfort and sometimes milk during the 10 to 12 hours of nighttime sleep. Screw what we've been told and follow your gut. Thank you for being an audacious inspiration. Yes, thank you. It's mad to me that people sleep train still and sometimes that's what works for your family. And you just do what you got to do to survive as a family. Whatever your shape of a family looks like, listen, do whatever you got to do. But this woman came early on in Fred's life, and she was a very highly skilled maternity nurse, really great woman. We needed her for a specific project that I was working on. And she came and she said, oh, do you know, um, bring me back, like give me a week alone with him. I think I was on tour. She said, leave him with me. Give me a week alone with him. First of all, never. And when you come back, I'll have him fixed. She genuinely used the word fixed. And then he won't wake up at night anymore. And I said, why? What are you going to do to him? She said, oh, it's controlled crying. It's fine. And I said to her, oh, all right. Well, that's fine. No judgment. But in, in this family, I believe that my children, the way that their personalities are, they'd be quite damaged by that. And I wouldn't want to teach them, hey, no one's coming for you in this life. And she said, oh, you know, that doesn't exist. They've done this study on a Russian, like, war children way back when. These orphans were left to cry, uh, and they didn't have any lasting effects. I was like, 
point me in the direction of that study because that sounds like some fraudulent BS. Oh, this is very interesting. Okay, so someone's written in as a reaction to a woman who wrote a letter concerning being frustrated with her boyfriend who has ADHD. She had to manage a lot of things for him. And my advice to her, I think, my my advice always is like, leave him, find someone else. (laughs) Not that it's his fault, but it was causing her a lot of anxiety and stress in her life. So someone in the know has written this advice instead. Because a lot of you give much bigger, better advice than I do. Catherine, if her boyfriend is struggling at work, he needs to get support from his workplace rather than from her. ADHD normally counts as a protected characteristic. Therefore, his workplace are legally required to provide a workplace assessment and to implement any reasonable adjustments that he needs to be able to do his job as easily as his neurotypical colleagues. This goes for all your listeners. I don't think a lot of people realize this. Don't struggle in silence when you don't need to. It helps no one. I am diagnosed dyslexic, which has some overlap with ADHD. I have felt the spiraling despair of trying to keep on top of a workload which you're slowly drowning in and don't have the innate organization skills everyone else seems to have. However, that said, this is none of her responsibility. His ADHD is a permanent part of him, and he'll always have difficulties and think differently to other people. Living with him will be hard for someone who needs a partner who's consistent and organized. It's 100% okay if that's what she needs in a relationship. This relationship isn't giving her this. And it's causing her anxiety trying to fix it. It in no way makes her a bad person. They just aren't compatible. Exactly what I said, but you've articulated it so much better than I could. So a little advice for everyone out there who's neuroatypical, neurodiverse, neurodynamic in this way. Uh Uh-oh, this is no good. Catherine, I just found out today that my dad cheated on my mom 30 years ago. They were happily married. Oh, wrong living in a foreign country where he had a job and she stayed at home with three small children. He left her for another woman, his secretary. Friends and family helped her to come home and piece her life together. She didn't have a job, but she quickly found one. She was distraught and it was entirely unexpected. I've discovered all of this because, well, she just told me today. I'm 33 years old and she's kept this a secret from us for 30 years. And now she's still with my father 30 years later. But I thought he left for the secretary. Maybe he realized the grass was not greener and he came crawling back. Scum. I mean, maybe not scum now, but scummy move. I describe their marriage as consistently unhappy. My mother's own father died just a couple years before my dad would have left. And I can imagine the severe heartache she would have been going through. Grieving for her father, looking after three kids, being in a foreign country. The timing seems awful. The age I am now is how old she was when he left her. He did come crawling back after, I think, a year or so, claiming he missed the children. I'm sure he did miss us, but I wonder if it didn't work out with his new side chick, and that's why he came back. Mom decided to keep it a secret and just took him back, believing this would be best for us, her three children, to have their dad. Her counselors at the time were nuns. I believe they were very kind to her, but you can imagine they were all still catching up with women's rights, so easy to see how she would have been so willing to take him back. I find it unbearably sad for her that she bore my father's mistake as a secret, felt ashamed of what the town would think of her for being cheated on, and what they would think then for her taking him back. She suffered huge blows to her happiness and self-confidence, and it's unbearable that she sacrificed her happiness for her kids. The truth is, their unhappiness had a huge impact on our childhood, something I obviously can forgive her for today, but it wasn't easy growing up with. The advice I am looking for is this. I, an adult daughter, what should I say to my mom? 
I stayed very calm and non-judgmental when she told me the secret today. I love my dad. I'm grateful for many aspects of his parenthood. I already thought of him as a little bit of an asshat for other reasons, but I also related to him being misogynistic. So while the story shocked me, I could also see how it links with a strong aspect of his character. My gut reaction was to tell my mom to see a therapist. She's only 65, and she needs to really start taking care of herself, her emotions, start valuing what she wants and what she needs, her heart and stress levels. How can she measure if leaving him at this stage or staying with him at this stage will be worse or better for her health in the long term? He's a stressful person to be around. I told her that severe cheating, i.e. behind your back when you're pregnant and looking after three kids under five and then abandoning you for a secretary, is abuse. And if any domestic abuse still happens in her current household, she should not hesitate to leave. My mom's not perfect, but having this knowledge about her past makes me understand a lot of her behavior and sadness, so I have compassion for her. Should I encourage her to leave my dad? I told her that she should just start planning her finances separately and do whatever she wants. Whether she stays with him or leaves, I've told her I can't and won't judge her, but how can she know what it's like to have your own apartment and live by yourself after being married to him for 40 years? And the only experience of being alone is being abandoned and distraught. Maybe if she doesn't try to live by herself, she'll never know. A lot going on. All right. We need to see if your dad is still up to his old tricks by catfishing him. Oh yeah, sexy decoy. We need to somehow get your dad online, maybe start emailing him from a fake account, say that you're like some local woman and you're really interested, you saw him like walking the dog or something, or you caught a glimpse of him at the golf course and you're interested. Start sending him sexy pics and then lure him to an agreed location where you will say, you know, cat's out of the bag, asshat. None of us liked you anyway. We love you, but we don't like you. We feel like you're a misogynist. You hurt mom, and now you know what it feels like. And then exile him for, I don't know, however long he was, at least a year. Just make him live in like a bachelor apartment of shame. Your mom stays in the house with you guys. She gets to experience what it's like being alone, and she gets one over on him. I feel like that's what he deserves. Um, I think, though, to be very honest, that this might have happened in a lot of marriages, you see a successful, quote-unquote, successful couple. Oh, they've been together 30 years. But what you don't know about is this shameful hiccup that a lot of people hid early on. I think it happened more than we know in a lot of marriages. I really do. And people can genuinely move on from it. They can forgive and forget. And they do decide to stay together because I'm telling you, taking someone back, if they truly have learned their lesson, is so much easier than a divorce. And it is possible to forgive someone without resentment, I believe. But it sounds like these two just aren't happy, so taking him back wasn't worth it. Your mother probably held on to a lot of resentment. Your dad didn't ultimately learn the lesson that he needed to. And also, it's below the belt to be like, I'm back here because I miss the children. Like, if I'm sorry, if you love your children, then you look after their main caregiver, which is, as, at least in those times, their mother. Um, traumatizing three small children's mom is not a great way of loving them. So I would ask your mom, I think, first and foremost, why have you decided to tell us this now? Because it sounds to me like if you can keep a secret for 30 years, you can keep a secret for 30 years in a day. But she chose to tell you. So maybe she's looking for permission to leave, and he needs to be the bad guy for her to do that. Maybe she knows that 
she will get your sympathy and your approval if she tells you that story. There might be other stories or other incidents that she just doesn't know about, if that's the kind of person that he was. I think a lot of um, men of that generation were jealous of three small children too because they would demand a lot of their mother's attention in that family dynamic. Good for her for leaving. I understand why she took him back too, but I think she's looking for permission to leave now. And so if that were my mom, I would just say that she deserves to be happy. 65 is not too old to find that excitement, to find someone new. I would create a dating profile. Absolutely still catfish your dad. I was serious about that. But maybe push your mom to get out there, start a pottery class or take some lessons at a college if she has spare time. Just do things all for her. Help her move into a new, like really tidy, small, beautiful flat that's in walking distance to a bunch of nice shops that she likes or nearby to one of her friends or some group that she likes. I don't know. I don't know what people get up to in your village, but your mom absolutely deserves to be happy. And my gut instinct is that she's looking for your permission. It kind of sucks to be your mother's mother, you know, to to be the one giving her advice. But it sounds like you're all on the same page. And it's cool that she respects you enough to come to you and be like, what do I do? I think that's what she's saying. So just set her free. And you don't have to hate your dad. I think a lot of men were cheating on their wives 30 years ago. Let's take a short break for these words from your sponsors. My sponsors, our sponsors. They're my sponsors. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ooh, here is a much-appreciated advice email about Fred's eczema. Now some of you might have eczema yourselves. Some of you might have children who display, you know, signs of rash or eczema on their skin. And there was a lot of interest when I shared that Fred was popping up with a bit of eczema. I was worried he had food allergies. It was a long old story. It seems like he doesn't have any food allergies. And the eczema went away, but then it randomly sort of came up again. I mean, I'll tell you this. There's been advice from all directions. But if you're looking for sort of a... uh, a study type data uh, report, (laughs) the main advice in the middle is just cream them up. Get the right creams, cream them up, try to get the eczema under control and don't freak out too much. Most of them grow out of it. All right. But this woman says, Catherine, love what you're doing. 
I felt quite different because I believe in alternative medicine and crystals, but I also like to dress up and put makeup on, like you. I love that we are not fitting in a box kind of humans. We are all so complex and individual. I got very deep into the physical parts of birth and breastfeeding, as well as the energetical and hormonal exchange, and wanted to offer you my very subjective view on this. I do not assume to know your situation at all, and please hold everything I write to you against your internal fire. If it resonates, take it. If not, just forget it. I feel like this should be the disclaimer on my podcast and all my stand-up shows and everything that I do. Hold everything that I say to you against your internal fire. If it resonates, take it. If not, just forget it. If we could all live our lives that way. Like, if I say something and it doesn't resonate with you in your life, it is not a personal attack. Take it for what it's worth. Hold on to the bits that you like. Discard the bits you don't like. Keep it moving, baby. She says, What I have read and heard is that your nipples have receptors in them. Guess what? I've read and heard this as well. I agree. I mean, I... I guess. I mean, it, it sounds like it makes sense. And they actually take in information from the saliva from your baby, analyze what nutrients and antibodies your baby needs, and then prepare the milk accordingly, which is why if you feed two babies at different ages, both get what they need individually. So from what I've heard you say on your podcast, you are exclusively pumping, which don't get me wrong is amazing, but it kind of misses the crucial part of your body getting the input from baby Fred. I think if you'd breastfeed him through your breasts, your milk would help him with the eczema. And you can also use that milk for the face like a cream, but you need the contact from his mouth. Also, additionally, as with all autoimmune responses, the root cause for it breaking out is by a non-balance in the energetical body, which coincidentally will also be restored by you breastfeeding from your actual breasts. Well, they're not my actual breasts. All right, that ship has sailed. In... Kudalini. Kundalini? Listen, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing Kundalini. I think I'm pronouncing it right. It looks quite phonetically pronounced. But I also received some emails back being like, you mispronounced Priti Patel, who's like one of the worst people on earth. And I won't apologize for pronouncing any politician's name wrong. It's not a race thing. It's just like I try to keep them out of my periphery as much as I fucking can because they're pure evil. Um, but good on you. Like how left, this is a huge digression, but how left wing are some left wing people that they want to be so holier than thou and woke and correct and considerate all the time, but then they start defending pretty Patel and please God, let me pronounce it right this time. (laughs) But they're like, ah, you didn't say her name, right? Meanwhile, she's deporting people every day. Oh, All right, so Kundalini, it is said that the mom's aura is open where the breasts are until baby is three. During that time, mom and baby share an aura. So you're literally connected to your baby via your breasts. And with the actual contact, you regulate baby's nervous system. This is scientifically proven. I mean, yeah, I know. And it's just really weird. Fred won't take the nipple. And at first he would like when he was newborn, because I didn't really give him a choice. I didn't pump that much then. But He became kind of distressed by it, and I think he had reflux. I looked into whether or not he was tongue-tied. He isn't, but I think he's just quite a greedy little bitch, to be honest, and he knows that he can get lots of milk really easily chilled through the bottle, whereas breastfeeding, they actually have to work for it. 
And I really think that's all it's about after much investigation. So some people can breastfeed, some people can't. Some people can express milk, some people give just formula. Whatever you want to do, like this lovely woman said at the beginning, hold everything against your internal fire. If it resonates, take it. If not, forget it. Babe, I wish I could breastfeed Fred. Do you think I like spending an extra 30 minutes pumping every single time he needs to eat? I don't. But like, you need to write this email to him. I still offer him the breast. I still offer it. And he's like horrified. Uh, My breasts are huge and I think they're quite hot. And he's just not, not about that life. But very interesting anyway. Very, very interesting stuff. I've never read any of these emails up before, but there's a strong theme of roommates, colleagues, romantic partners, friends, family members smelling. So I don't know what has happened in this pandemic. If people maybe have long COVID, they can't smell themselves anymore. They don't know when they need to take a shower. But there's been a surge in smelly people and the listeners are not happy about it. So I I didn't think it was worth reading any of these emails because I don't know. uh, (laughs) What advice can you give? But as we are going into the emails, I'm noticing so many let's, let's hear, let's hear about a smelly colleague. Catherine? I need some advice on my colleague who has a foul odor. This colleague smells of rotten vegetables, unwashed hair, and tooth decay. I don't wish to be a dick about things, but it's gone beyond a point where I find it acceptable. When she walks around the office, she wafts the smell everywhere. I cannot bear it. This lady has already been in a meeting with HR about her personal hygiene, but over time, she's let those standards slip again. Everybody comments and makes fun of her, but I want to help her as clearly this is due to some underlying issue where she doesn't care to keep herself clean. What do I do? My manager doesn't want to hear it and everyone else just finds it funny. I genuinely cannot handle it. It makes me feel sick as the smell circulates around the office. Please, could you give me some advice? Well, damn. It doesn't feel good to hear that you stink. I can imagine. I've never heard this in my own life. But the woman you work with is about to take quite a psychological beating because you're going to have to tell her. It's going to have to be you. Um, I would say ask her into a room and say something like, what I'm about to tell you is quite personal. I need you to be prepared for that. But I care about my work environment enough and I care about you enough as a colleague to be very honest with you. Are you prepared for that? Give her a few seconds to compose herself. If she's been spoken to by HR before, I think she's going to know what's coming. Um, I would just say use words like sense rather than smell. Just say, I can sense a particular odor coming from your direction. Um, and I'm worried that maybe you might be unwell Or have you seen a GP about this? Or is something going on that you want to talk to me about? Yeah, maybe not have you seen a GP. Maybe like, is there something going on that you want to talk about? Like, how are you, are you sad? Like too sad to have a shower, but don't say that. Just, you know, poke around for that type of subject matter. See if she wants to open up and talk. Because you're absolutely right that I think people who suffer from, you know, quite bad depression aren't motivated to do any sort of self-care like that so you could be absolutely right it gets past a certain point and then I don't know if, if she smells like tooth decay like that's awful awful and it is impacting your work and I can imagine that if it's affecting your productivity in the office and everyone else's then maybe you have like 
customers or suppliers or like business associates who come into the office, like, it could be affecting the whole business. And I know it's not your job. It is HR's job, but your manager doesn't seem to care. And it does need to get sorted. Otherwise, you need to quit. I, I wonder, see, you don't mention what kind of company it was. I wish that you would have told me. And I wish it was some like big evil conglomerate because then you could leave and you could cite irreconcilable like work you know conditions and you could say that you were forced out of your job because the smell is making you sick and HR aren't doing their job and your manager is not doing their job of sorting this problem it's like an it's a hostile work environment for you and then maybe you can get some kind of payout ching ching Ooh, here's one called Catherine do I dislike my husband because of feminist social media <laughs> I bet that's the husband's reason that you dislike him. Let's see. Catherine, I already know what you'll say about this. Everyone opens their email that way. Catherine, I already know what you're going to say about this. But I suppose I just feel like I want to write it down. I'm totally unable to really open up to anyone I actually know about this. But I guess most importantly, I don't want anyone who knows my husband to judge him. And by extension, judge me. I don't know why this is so important to me. But I don't really like asking for help or advice at the best of times. So seeing as how this is so important, I don't want anyone I know to get involved. I'm one of those people who loves and gets great satisfaction from giving advice, but not taking it. What I find difficult to get a handle on is how much of what I feel about my husband during arguments is a result of my upbringing, my own issues, and most importantly, the influence of the fact that ultimately, I don't like or trust men. I follow a lot of feminist social media accounts, in particular, a lot of the ones that feature men on dating apps, and I find that I'm generally quite disgusted by the way men are. I watch TV shows like Married at First Sight, and most of the time I just think that men are a lost cause, and the patriarchy has left them too damaged. Sometimes, then, I wonder if I go into our interactions already angry and suspicious, and ready to think the worst of him in every way, which is unfair and not particularly helpful. A lot of this goes back to the way my dad was when I was a child. He and my mom, now divorced, had a horrible relationship. He was not a nice person and still isn't when he's angry, though we get on well now. I think I'm triggered by any hint of a raised voice from a man, and my fight or flight kicks in straight away. My tendency is always to fight. My mom always told us that men are incredibly dangerous, <laughs> and I suppose that has stuck. I know you talked a little bit about this in your book, so I wonder how it's possible to work through this while still keeping myself safe. Can it be done? Do you know, you sound exactly like me, exactly like me. I would joke, uh, men are murderers, men are murderers. And I know realistically that not all men are murderers, but that most murderers are men. And I would always joke, about that I think as a way of protecting myself and I was in a therapy session with my wonderful therapist Pam who I haven't seen in so so long but I miss a lot I gotta drum up some problems in my life to go see her and I said to her that I I'm afraid of men I identified I'm like you know I'm scared of them I'm afraid I I feel like they're dangerous I feel like they could hurt me or could hurt someone else I can't really relate to violence, and I know that not all men are violent, but I just feel constantly kind of like, ooh, what are they going to do next? And I think Catelyn Moran articulated this really beautifully when she said that women 
some women feel like they're living on a planet of bears. And the bears can be cute and cuddly sometimes, but ultimately they're bears. And we kind of can't anticipate their actions all the time because they're bears. And she probably said it a lot better than I'm saying it now. But I mean, it was really poignant. And I said to Pam, I don't know how to stop being afraid of them. And she started working on me with that. And I forget what she was saying. But then I just started crying. Like I burst into tears. And this was years ago. And she was like, what is up? What's happening? And I just said, I don't want to stop being afraid of them because being afraid of them is what keeps me safe. I actually want to keep being afraid of them. I feel like it's protecting me and I'm right. And we can do all this work to undo it. But why would we do that? Because my instinct about them is right. And I need to keep that to stay safe. That's exactly what happened in that room. And um, that was a very interesting time. And it just took lots of life experience, really, to stop feeling afraid. Because I think what you seek is what you'll find. If you think men are dangerous, then you're already leaning in the direction of dangerous men. And then you'll, you'll be attracted to dangerous ones. If you think that they're misogynist and aggressive, those are the ones that you will find. I mean, in my experience anyway. And it wasn't until I really matured and got over that that I learned that you just have to be more optimistic you know still be vigilant in your life because the unfortunate truth is that we can't walk around at night the same way that anyone else can uh but try to be a bit more positive and stop watching those accounts or that content that makes you more afraid you describe watching Married at First Sight and a lot of the men on that are trash. I'm sure a lot of the women on that are trash too, but you're not sexually attracted to women or dating women, so they're not a threat to you, right? Um, I had that with Teen Mom. I was watching Teen Mom from the time Violet was born in 2009, and I still think about those women. I still watch updated episodes. I connect with them because we had our babies at the same time. And almost without exception, the girls on that show, and I say girls because they were children, really stepped up. They've got incredible careers now, most of them. They looked after their children. And most of the men were just like, oh, pathetic. And and these aren't even men. These are boys faced with teenage pregnancy. They just crumbled. And they were awful, abusive in their language, cheating, just really immature. And I just said to myself one day, I got to stop watching this. This is bad for me. And I stopped watching all the Netflix documentaries about murderers, too. I thought, what, another Ted Bundy show? No, I, mean, I just took myself out of that game. I stopped watching it. I won't watch anything about a murderer anymore. I just can't. Uh, and those social media accounts, if you feel like they are having a toxic influence on you, just step away from them for a while. Give yourself like a six-month detox and see if that helps with your marriage. Because you can train yourself to be more optimistic. And... I mean, presumably this is a really good guy because you married him. And if he's not, then you need to leave him. But holding on to fear and resentment is not a good look. And it ultimately won't make you happy. Ooh, Bobby's joined the podcast now. He's in the room crunching pretzel. (laughs) After after blowing every leaf in the neighborhood. (laughs) Bobby, you could not have joined the podcast at a better time. Because people are asking questions in the emails, specifically name-checking you, saying, I want to know what Bobby thinks about this. Let's get a man's perspective on this. And this first one, I think that you'll probably be able to relate because it 
I think it echoes something from our past. So listen to this. All right. Hi, I love the podcast. Thanks for your ongoing advice and support for women, men, and others. Who is others? <laughs> just, you know, there's in the middle, right? Others. Yeah. I just like the way she put there's it. A lot of options. Here. Women, men, and others. As a younger listener, I'd love to hear your advice on my relationship. I'm a 22-year-old gal with a boyfriend the same age. Let's call him George. I'm sure his real name is actually George. I've been with George since I was 20, and at the beginning it was all flames, great sex, and passion. But we're also best friends. Now, there is less sex, but I still love him, and we're more than best friends. George is so kind, caring, trustworthy, and funny. I don't know why I'm laughing just What's because you're funny? here. Just because you're here, I'm laughing. George sounds like <laughs> awesome. All right. George is the most beautiful soul, and he's taught me what be. You're here. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> All right. I'm not laughing at you and George. Do you know what it is? And you can hear Fred coughing on the monitor now. We're all sick again. Why are we sick all the time? <clears throat> I feel like I'm running out of steam. Okay, there. He's fine. He's safe. Great. Back to George, please. <laughs> not making oh, George. This isn't a funny letter at all. It's sad. Because oh, she loves George. Okay. It's not sad, sad, but all right. George is the most beautiful soul. He has taught me what being in love really feels like. <laughs> I don't know. Am I George and you're writing the seat over yourself? What's going on? I don't know why I'm laughing. Okay. <laughs> okay. We. That's not funny. It's not funny. Okay. I don't know why I'm laughing at all. Okay. We are now. (laughs) I just think think you're funny. And I'm like anticipating that you're going to say something funny. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We're now tears down the line. And I'm constantly wondering whether this is it. It really scares me to think. I may never be with any other guy, and I'm only 22. <laughs> I keep. <laughs> this is awful because this girl is in like a terrible predicament. I don't know. Like, listen, if you're listening and you wrote me this email, I do not know what I think is funny. Like, I really don't. We're now two years down the line. I'm constantly wondering whether this is it. It really scares me to think I may never be with any other guy, and I'm only 22. I keep wondering about the experiences I'm missing out on by being in such a committed relationship so young. It scares me to think I may never have sex with anyone else ever again. I love George so much, and I really think I'd regret it if I did break it off. Am I being totally ungrateful with George, who is so great and amazing? Or should I end it and risk losing the love of my life in fear of what I'm missing out on? P.S. I'm sick of people saying, if you really loved him, you would not feel this way. I really, really, really do love him. So what's going on? Am I just a commitment phobe? Well, what I can say is uh, certainly the grass is not always greener. Um, It may be tough when you are young. I know I ditched Catherine at a very young age. Maybe bounced, got rid of, kicked to the curb. What do you want to call it? Um, And I was like 16 or 17. 
because I just figured, you know, everyone else is going to be great. And, you know, this is just the current one. Um, but what you find out later is if you do have something special, it's definitely worth, like, at least taking it far. You don't have to, like, necessarily marry them if it doesn't work out in the end. But it's not worth, I don't think, getting rid of it just so you can fuck someone um, or date or whatever you plan on doing. I think that she did say sex, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because if you break this person off and they meet someone else and then you end up, you know, miserable for the rest of your life, you're not going to really be too happy with that. But maybe you would not have appreciated me. Like, let's say we stayed together our whole lives and you never went off and realized that other gals were not as cool as I am. It doesn't seem like it's the same in that sense because, you know, I obviously had a lot of growing up to do. I wasn't 22. Not to say I was, you know, as mature at 22 as I was at 35 when we reconnected. Um, I, I don't know. It, I wouldn't say if everything's going well right now, I wouldn't get too in your head about it. You know, maybe it'll break off later and, you know, you'll get that opportunity. But um, just I would stay with it. Just let it play out naturally. Like you'll have plenty of years for this relationship to crumble. So when wasn't there a couple when we were growing up who were together from the time they were young and before they got married? They each were allowed like a night of passion with anyone they wanted. Uh, and they didn't go through with it, I don't think. Are you talking about my... I mean, I'll cut that out, but yeah. <laughs> no. They weren't promised any of passion, but, you know, you've only been this one person since your ninth grade. And then... you know, What was the arrangement? There was no arrangement. It why, was, did, why is there a rumor of an arrangement? I, I don't know. It was just a... There was no arrangement ever. I don't know what that rumor is. Well, growing up... Or like after we grew up, everyone said that those two, before they got married, they were allowed to bang someone else. Well, it didn't go through. They didn't go through, I know, but maybe they just said to each other, if you want to bang someone else before our wedding, go ahead as like a fucking test, a trap. That seems like what it was. Yeah. Oh my God. What well, a real setup. So stay with George? Stay with George. Yeah, because you said you're happy and this and that. You're, just, you're a bit scared that this might be the one for you or you know quote unquote one um and that's normal but just stick through it and if it doesn't work it doesn't work and you can if it does break down then you can you know fuck however many guys you're capable of <laughs> fucking other people is not all it's cracked it's, up to no me. it's not great like good luck <laughs> with that bobby this young woman has asked for your advice specifically oh, Catherine, God. i'm confused i need your opinion and Bobby's opinion, please. I've been seeing a guy for five months. He's 37. I'm 35. He lives in Barrie, Ontario. Uh-oh. Ooh. I live in Toronto. We mainly only see each other on the weekends because we both work from home. Well, hang on. Uh, yeah. I'm, then they can see each other whenever the fuck they want. This should be a bit more than the weekends, but yeah, go ahead. All right. He recently told me he was not interested in a relationship but wasn't ready to rule out a relationship because we've been seeing each other for a while now and he does enjoy being around me. I was over at his this past weekend and he said, I love you. Obviously, I'm fucking confused. So you love me, but you don't want to be committed to me. I see it as wanting his cake and eating it too and then wanting seconds. Bobby, from a guy's perspective, what the fuck does this mean? I tried talking to him about it, but it didn't get anywhere. Why do guys do this? Help me understand, please. Maybe he's just scared to be in a relationship, but he really loves you and being around you, and so he's 
afraid of commitment. That's all I can come up with. What? Honestly? Would, or he's got a secret family? Like, what do you want? Well, what do you really think? Would you put yourself in his shoes? Or you, you have lots of guy friends. Yes. From the world of athletics. And from the world of Barry as well. Right. Mm-hmm. So why would a guy be happy to have sex with someone, spend time with someone, say he loves someone, but not be in a relationship with them? Because I can tell you, uh, everyone's different, but most heteronormative women could, are not capable of that. Well, this is what I'm saying. I can't, I don't understand it. It seems like everything's going well, aside from not spending, you know, enough time to, together, possibly. But how come guys can love people and have sex with people but not want to be in a relationship with them? But girls kind of, normally speaking, I know, know there are exceptions. Like, we can't. That's why we're asking you. Like, what is the psychology behind that? I don't know. Do you know guys who've done this to women no. before? You don't? No. Have you ever done this to women before? No. Oh. Listen, it seems like weird. That's all I can tell you. I don't know. <laughs> what do you want me to say? I don't know why he loves you. I don't know why he won't commit. I got nothing. You're really on a roll, Bobby. I know the listeners. I think you might get your own show. Advice mm. from Bobby. I don't know. I don't know why he loves you. Okay. Catherine and Bobby. Recently, my boyfriend, 25, same age as me, who I've been together with for 3.5 years, but best friends for seven. So let's just do the math on that real quick. There were 20, like one and a half when they got together. Mm. And they've been friends since they were 18. Best friends. Told me I gained weight, about 10 pounds. Fine. But he said it in the worst way possible by adding that he has stopped being attracted to me and that while I am beautiful, I am not hot. He's also made little comments in the last few months that hurt my feelings. He says he still loves me and he isn't giving me an ultimatum, but that he wants to tell me so that I can do something about it in order to fix this problem. He also mentioned that he's felt this way for a while. I feel really upset and humiliated. I'm fine with losing weight and I want to, but in my head, this is the person I want to be with forever. And it really worries me that his attraction to me can be hurt by something as inconsequential as 10 pounds. What happens when I have kids? And my boobs sag or I age like a normal human being. I've explained this to him and he apologized for being an asshole. But he obviously feels some type of way about my body. I've started a diet, but I just don't know how I can take my clothes off in front of him right now without feeling that he's judging me. Help, what do I do? I don't think this warrants a breakup. And I'm glad he was able to be honest with me, but I feel pretty shit. I need the wise opinions of Bobby K and of Catherine. Good luck. Yeah, maybe you could tell him that he's getting fat as payback. I don't know. Stop. <laughs> Fix these problems. That's not very fair and not cool. But I think the best way to get back at him is by telling him that he looks like shit somehow. I don't think he wants to get back at him. I think she wants to move forward with well, the relationship. You break, not like him, just... you break him down. No. And then you're on the same level. No, I don't think she wants like to just make this a toxic relationship where they both torpedo each other's self-esteem. No, Bobby. How did you feel about me when I gained 30 pounds? That's three times 10 for anyone keeping track. Well, I love you and you pack on weight nicely. What can I say? Did you still feel attracted to me? Yes. Or? 
So think about him. Like, how can he say, I, I love you. I think you're beautiful, but you're not hot. Like, well, that's just really rude. There's, I, I don't know what the way to do it is. I would never say this to anyone. <laughs> so your advice is break him down. So you're on the same level. Right. Okay. I think that unfortunately you need to leave this man. Maybe not forever, but at least for a time. Because you deserve nothing less than someone who loves you, adores you, and thinks that you're hot. And I can assure you there will be plenty of men who will think that you're hot. And so you don't need to take this from him, your best friend, being like, oh, well, you're beautiful, but I, I hate that you're saying, you know, I it's not a deal breaker for me. I think it is a massive deal breaker. If your partner has the audacity to say to you, yeah, you know, I love you, but you're not hot. Nah. Yeah, it's strange. It's really strange. Fuck you. Find someone who thinks you're hot. There'll be plenty of people. Do you think she should leave him? Yeah. But I wouldn't say yet. I think first you break him down like I mentioned. <laughs> Leaving him is going to be pretty tough on see yourself. See how he handles too. that first. He could yeah. apologize. And you guys can have a future together. I think leaving him will break him down plenty. That will. That, that, you know what? He will come back crawling and apologize. Yeah, that's true. And then you gain 20 pounds. <laughs> well, who gains 20 pounds? Me? <laughs> Anyone who wants to. <laughs> I would like to, sure. Thank you so much for listening to Telling Everybody Everything. I am on tour all over the UK. You can find tickets on Live Nation. You can get my book, The Audacity, or you can just keep listening to this podcast. I hope you look after each other and you stay well. I'll see you soon. Thank you to Bobby for being my special guest. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details.